This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 129. And the quote of the day is from Sidney A. Friedman, who said, you can achieve anything you want in life if you have the courage to dream it, the intelligence to make a realistic plan, and the will to see that plan through to the end. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And this session is brought to you by DW Drums. And as you know, I've been playing DW for years, not only because they make great handcrafted drums, but they also support and foster drumming initiatives all over the world, much like this podcast. Be sure to check them out today at dwdrums.com. This session is also brought to you by Promark, the makers of the medium broomstick. Broomsticks are made from actual broom corn. This medium is louder than a brush and capable of really heavy bass sounds or really snappy snare sounds. And it's great for using on instruments like the cajon. Get more information at your local retailer or visit Promark.com. Listen, guys, let's get real. If you want to work, you got to know how to groove. And Damani Rhodes play-alongs help you do just that. These drumless tracks help you improve your groove, time, feel, and musicality. And you can get your very own play-along track for free if you go to drummersresource.com forward slash playalong. Now, the interview that I have today is Terrence Higgins, who is a legend not only in the New Orleans scene, but across the country, all over the world. I'm really, really excited to have him on here because I've been a big fan of his for years. He plays with a ton of bands that that I'm a fan of, and plus his style is just ridiculously funky and ridiculously tight and in the pocket. So it's a pleasure to have him. We're going to get all into that and the heritage of, of New Orleans drumming and all kinds of cool stuff. So without further ado, let's get into it with Mr. Terrence Higgins. Terrence, what's going on, my man? Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, thank you, man. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Absolutely. I think this is officially the uh, the earliest interview I've ever done it. I'm, I'm sure that it's the earliest my guests have ever done. It's about 530 in the morning where you are. So uh, yeah. so I hope the listeners appreciate your dedication to uh, to drummers for you getting up early to do this interview, man. Yeah, it's just a post graveyard shift. You know, it's not it's not even bright and early yet. It's just early. Right, it's just dark and it's gloomy. Just dark and, <laughs> so, yeah, it's good. Good to be here, though, man. And I, I wanted to get it in, you know, scheduling these things could be really crazy when you're on tour. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, the best thing to do is just do it early. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so you're uh, you're on tour right now and you're on tour with um, with Tab, right? I'm on tour with this artist from home of Louisiana named Tab Benoit. It's kind of like a Cajun blues artist. And um, he's been around for about 20 years. I mean, Tab's been friends for probably longer than that, you know, but I never got the opportunity to really work with him mm-hmm. until a few years ago, you know. So, but yeah, we're out on tour and um, doing like about a four week tour, you know, kind of making a big loop. From New Orleans to the West Coast, then up back through the Midwest, and then Chicago, and then back down south. So it's gonna be a fun tour. Nice. And admittedly, man, I had never even heard of him before. And after you and I spoke yesterday, I went and spent about. I was just working, and I had maybe two hours of of his music just playing in the background. So I was, <laughs> nice. I was digging it. So it it was nice to. I always like finding new artists. And so we're. I want to talk about the the tour and all that stuff. But before we get too deep, let's let the listeners know a little bit 
bit about about you, your backstory, who you are and where you come from. Well, you know, I was born and raised in New Orleans. So, you know, I guess I would be considered a New Orleans drummer, you know, which we come from a long line of drummers, great drummers historically, all the way back to Baby Dodds, you know, up to, to all the new cats and whatever. But I grew up in a little part of New Orleans called Algiers, which is on the West Bank from downtown New Orleans. And man, it's uh, it's amazing. Um, a lot of culture down in New Orleans, a lot of tradition and, you know, and all that stuff comes out in our plan. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. I've had the, the privilege of, of being down in New Orleans a bunch of times, man. And I, I really do. It's, it's such a, an amazing city. And for anybody who's out there listening, uh, you know, if you get a chance, go to New Orleans and just immerse yourself in the culture of, of what's going on down there. It's just, it's, it's, it's like no other place in the world, man. It's its own little planet, you know, within the planet, you know what I'm saying? It's a, the land of Bohemia, you, you know, the, it's, it's just an amazing culture, man. And I don't see it. I mean, anyway, we travel a lot as musicians, man, but mm-hmm. seriously, there literally is no place like New Orleans, man. And it's, it's amazing it to is. be from that. It is now. So let's talk about a little bit about the lineage of New Orleans drumming, because everyone that I talk to that's from New Orleans, or I should say every drummer that I talk to that's from New Orleans mm-hmm. knows the lineage of of drumming and New Orleans drumming. But if you go to Chicago, those cats don't know about, you know, the Chicago lineage of drumming. And like if you go to Philly or, or anywhere else mm-hmm. and. So let's talk about that a little bit, because I think it's interesting. Is that something that that you're just you're just hip to it at a very young age or? Well, well, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, if you're from New Orleans, you know uh, about the culture because, you, you know, it's we're born there. So it's like, you know, we see this stuff all the time, you know, and sometimes, you know, cats could take it for granted that you know what it is mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying because we're so immersed in it and it's it's like the culture for a lot of people and the traditions in new orleans it's like religion to some people you know it's mm-hmm. like we do this every day we live by these things and the music is just one aspect of it. i mean there's a lot of other things that goes on within the culture besides music that happens but you know to be from a lineage like that you kind of got to do some history and you got to be you got to kind of know who's who you know what i'm saying and sometimes that information is not like um that readily available so you got to know people you know who's came before you and all the cats might put you on you know to a little bit of the history and everybody got their own interpretation of uh what new orleans drumming is but the cats who grew up inside of that culture we have a a language and you know it comes out in our plan we know these things mm-hmm. but in terms of the history you got to kind of do a little bit of research i mean you got to talk to the older cats and you know just respect what it is and then from there i think you can grow and understand what the lineage is all about mm-hmm. so and you know the you mentioned that you guys have your own language in new orleans and i think a lot of people don't realize that that the whole thing is based off the clav it's based off the you know the clave the clave uh, it's it's really a, an amalgamation of a lot of different things and cats say the clave but it's it's kind of implied but we don't really think in those terms mm-hmm. on the streets you know because new orleans second line is pretty much a, a parade thing it's just a, a marching 
type of thing right based right. off of european military style and you know the syncopation came from you know cats incorporating i guess african or caribbean rhythms within that so it's not necessarily the clave um it's not the clave is not as implied right. as people may think it is you know people kind of related to that but we don't really think in those terms some cats teach that but it's not really what we do on the streets we don't really think clave you know what i mean right, right, right. <laughs> clock, clock, clock. We don't really think in those terms, you know. Right. You know. Well, it's so. all in. I mean, the thing that amazed me about the first time I went to New Orleans, because I mean, I wasn't, I, you know, I I didn't know a ton of New Orleans music. I mean, I listened to you know Stanton and Galactic and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but like, I I didn't know a ton of like of old older New Orleans music. So when I got there, it was amazing to hear how everybody just played in between the cracks, and it was like this swung straight kind of feel thing happening it was just amazing yeah that's one of the most uh significant characteristics in new orleans drumming and you know cats we play like that but we don't think about it right. you know like some cats got to think about how to play in between the rhythms uh, or in between the beats but we don't really sit down and be like oh now i'm gonna play in between it's just an implied thing that would really stems from, you know, a lot of New Orleans drummers jazz were jazz drummers. And, you know, historically they were playing jazz gigs. So once they started playing like funk and rock and roll, it kind of it kind of went that way. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. that was their interpretation of rock and roll or what a rock and roll beat might might be. So it kind of came off in between the beach, you know what I'm saying? So that's kind of how that whole thing started. But like I said, when we play the the type of music that we play in New Orleans, we don't really think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't, we we don't sit down and say, Oh, calculated. It's not like a calculated thing. You know, that we learned in a textbook. It's just what we do. It's part of the language. Of course. So you you follow me? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, but it's, like I said, it's one of the most significant, um, characteristics in New Orleans drumming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's just part of it. So, yeah. <laughs> so how old were you when you started playing? Um, shoot, when I picked up, I might have been like four, yeah. you know, and I think my first, my great grandfather introduced me to drums. Uh, he bought me a set of bongos. I guess I was already beating on everything, you know, playing drums on right. my hands on everything. And I remember getting a set of bongos and my great grandfather was from Honduras mm-hmm. and, um, so, you know, and he played and then my uncle played drums. And then once I picked it up, you know, they uh, they kind of showed me some stuff and I joined the school band like in fourth grade. And then from that point on, I was always in the band and known as the drummer boy, you know. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so that's kind of how I got started in New Orleans. Now, do you think was there was there a defining moment in your life or your career where you said, you know what, I'm going to do this? professionally this is what i want to do there's no other road for me well i mean that probably happened early on because i mean like everybody in school knew that i play drums and i was like a popular drummer right. <laughs> in, in elementary school junior high high school so you know people would always say man that's all you do is drumming and cats would be like you know man you can't just drum all your life you got to do something else <laughs> you can't you know you can't make you know you, how you gonna make a living playing drums you know and i never was really like 
I never thought about it as a career. I knew I'm, you know, I was going to school. I know I was going to have to study something or whatever going into college. I mean, I decided to study music, and I know one of the alternatives or options was to be a band director. And, you know, I looked at my band director in high school, and I was like, I don't really want that life. (laughs) You know, I don't want to be dealing with kids, you know, high school kids, or you know, running around, you know, being stressed out. So, you know, I was like... I'll study music, but, you know, I, I guess at some point between high school and college, I decided, hey, I want to be a professional, you know, musician, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So. Well, and I think that, you know, especially in New Orleans, because it's such a musical town, and right. I mean, I don't want to generalize, but like everybody plays an instrument, you know what I mean? Totally, Whether totally, Whether yeah. it's, you know, on a high level or just, or just for fun or whatever it is. So I, th- I would imagine that, you you know some people look at you and you're like well you're just another guy who plays drums so does the guy down the right. street so does this guy so does this guy and you know the people who who can can do it as a career um, are fewer and farther between so that's a testament to to your playing especially coming out of a town that's all musicians you know yeah you know in New Orleans they started me young man you know they, the kids play on the street you know and uh, you know my upbringing I remember when I was a kid you know. The culture of uh, the Mardi Gras Indians and the, and the traditional brass band, that's a big thing in New Orleans, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? You, with the second line um, functions and that, that goes on in the city. But I remember when I was a kid, my uncle was uh, a member of uh, an Indian, a Mardi Gras Indian tribe mm-hmm. in New Orleans. And, we would, and he would come and get me and he would bring me to all the rehearsals. You know, every Sunday we would have a, like a, a Mardi Gras Indian um, rehearsal, and I would go in, and these cats would be playing these, you know, these these rhythms on whatever instrument they could think of, whatever drum they could find, or um, bottle, or uh, whatever they could find, and you know, tambourines, cowbells, and we would be in here on Sundays just doing the, the, the Indian chants and the rhythms, and you know, so I got that like early on like mm-hmm. when i was like six seven eight years old you know what i'm saying right. so that was kind of instilled in me earlier then i had an, another uncle that was a member of the algiers brass band and you know so i used to go check out their rehearsals sit in with them you know at an early age so i, I had it you know at my doorstep you know pretty much mm-hmm. the the basic essentials of new orleans drumming you know what i mean because right. that's pretty much the two things that we draw from as New Orleans drummers, uh, the Mardi Gras Indian rhythms and the second line rhythms. Right. And that's the lineage rhythmically of Mardi Gras Indian culture and and uh, the brass band tradition in New Orleans. I mean, you know, being young and exposed to those two sides of the culture, you know, in New Orleans, mm-hmm. it's really essential in being, you know, I guess New Orleans and the New Orleans drummer, you know, when you have those two styles of New Orleans music at your doorstep, you know right, what I'm saying, right. at an early age, and you don't realize, you know, your future could be, could lie in that, you know, musically, you know what I'm saying, and mm-hmm. that could be such a big part of what you do, and that's just being a part of the lineage of New Orleans, you know what I'm saying, we don't really think about that, because it's just something we do every day. Right, right. <laughs> so... I remember I was I was in Mexico and and there was some kid just playing, you know, playing all these rhythms that that are that he grew up playing. And, you know, and then he went to 
play like a rock groove and it sounded like me trying to play like you know some salsa stuff yeah i mean you know it's pretty much you know i, I like to call it indigenous rhythms right of uh you know of a culture or whatever you know we got new Orleans definitely has that you know right so what were some of the styles maybe that you had trouble learning or was there ever was there ever hurdles like that 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 you, you were so used to playing all this new orleans stuff that you were trying to play other stuff and it didn't work or, or well, was it actually, a little harder? It, actually it was it was just the opposite because i mean like i said we grew up in new orleans we play this stuff right right and you know so we got that but like you know i'll we play other stuff in new orleans probably more than we do the new the New Orleans stuff, you know. At, mm-hmm. You know, at an early age, when you play, you 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 play these rhythms, you you hear it, and it's second nature. But it's like you don't play it all the time. You know what I mean? It's like right. at least I didn't play it all the time. It's like I was doing like, um, uh, well, as a student, I was playing in the school bands and all of that stuff. So we played little, very little New Orleans music, you know, and then. Uh, as a professional, I started playing like jazz, and at the time it was uh, fusion. I think was kind of big, and then it was like uh, R and B and top forty stuff, you know, in the French quarters. And then you know it was like smooth jazz, you know, before I even had a bona fide New Orleans gig. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was crazy, you know. And then, you know, I guess my first real New Orleans gig was when I started playing with this cat, George Porter, George mm-hmm. Porter Jr. from the Meters, yeah, uh, bass player from the Legendary Group, and um, I was playing in the Rock Trio, believe it or not, <laughs> back in 1991, something like that. And uh, George was looking for a new drummer. And he heard heard about me, came to the show and checked me out. And, you know, it was the craziest thing because uh, he, he had heard me play all this other stuff, you know, that we were playing at the time, you know, mm-hmm. rock, funk. Not not really funk in terms of New Orleans funk, but it was some rock, funk rock type stuff. Right. You know, we was into like 24-7 Spies and Fall of Now and, you know, uh, bands like that back then. Mm-hmm. And then he came and heard all that and then he was like, Come to my house. I want to, you know, give you an audition uh, if you want to play. You know, I'm looking for a drummer. Or, you know, you can't recommend it. So I went to his crib, and then the first thing he told me to play was a shuffle, a hmm. blue shuffle. And it was cool because I had already been playing a bunch of blues gigs in New Orleans on right. Bourbon Street. You know, shuffles this, shuffles that. You know, it was like shuffle mecca. And then, you know, people don't realize that's a big. That was a big part, even on Bourbon Street, like the blues bands, you know, the right. A-bar, you know what I'm saying? That right. was like And I think the shuffle is one of the hardest, most misunderstood uh, <laughs> grooves that, that 90% of the people I see play it, play it incorrectly. Dude, let me, we'll talk about that, but... <laughs> yeah, well, know, I want to. Go, but nail on the head, because that's such an important um, groove. That's 101. Now, if you can't play a shuffle, all the other stuff you playing makes no sense say that one more time because I, I just want people i just want people to hear that again <laughs> if you can't play a shuffle man everything else makes no sense because i mean the shuffle is like the essential groove if mm-hmm. you can't shuffle you can't swing right. and if you can't swing how does anything else line up that's just my my take on it you know mm-hmm. take it for what it's worth but i've i found in my career that shuffles is like that'll keep you working 
in right. any context. You could play a, a shuffle. But anyway, George asked me to play a shuffle. I played it, and he was like, man, you got the gig. <laughs> it was that simple, because he had already heard me play all other stuff. So he knew I had facility, I had pocket, I could groove, and, you know, whatever. And then he was like, here's a bunch of cassette tapes. We, you know, we're going to go on, to, we leave for tour on Friday. <laughs> it was pretty much like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I mean, and, and that's really what catapulted me into... Um, I guess the whole New Orleans thing, per se. That was my intro to New Orleans music right there, mm-hmm. professionally. And, I mean, you've you've had a, a slew of people that you played with, from Schofield to Alan Toussaint to, you know, Ivan Neville and Dumpster Funk and all those guys. Like, let's talk about that journey a little bit, because uh, w- was it stemming from the George Porter stuff that, that really got you all the other gigs, or was it were they just a matter of, of random events? Well, it, it totally wasn't random. I mean, once I got the George Porter gigs, George was from that other generation of music that was like slightly before me, or maybe a generation or two before me. And that, and that, and during that time, that was was when all the rock and roll and all that stuff started really popping. You know what I'm saying? The New Orleans style rock and roll or whatever was popping. He played with those artists, artists like Snooks Eaglin and Johnny Adams and, and Earl King. You know, he played with those dudes. He played in his band. That was like some of his first gigs. Mm-hmm. And then he was still playing with them. So once I started playing with his band, I got to play with like Snooks and uh, Johnny Adams and artists like Earl King was big, you know. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So for me, as, at that age, playing with like legendary New Orleans musicians and artists, that really uh, entrenched me into a certain style of New Orleans music that was a generation before me. So I got it hands-on. Mm-hmm. I got that information hands-on. Then you can start to see the lineage within those styles of music in New Orleans. So it was still all based off a of second line, but it was like, um, you know, just R&B and funk-based, you know, with right. some blues. So once I got that gig, I was like, wow, I'm playing with all these, with all these cats. And I probably was one of the last cats to actually play with some of those earlier musicians at my age during that time. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right, right. Anything after me, those cats started passing away and, you know, then, you know, it was a whole nother thing. But, you know, so I got a lot of information from that. And then the Dirty Dozen gig came, mm-hmm. which was a different side of the New Orleans drumming world. And it was more second line based. Right. So now I'm getting this information from all these different angles within the culture. You know, all the stuff that I heard growing up, now I'm I'm having to imply that or apply that to what I'm what I'm doing now. So I had to draw from some of my earlier experiences. And, you know, the dirty dozen thing when that came about you know, they. I was recommended for that gig, and then I did an audition, and you know what I'm saying. But conceptually, mm-hmm. that gig was a little bit different than I, you know, anticipated. You know, right? What I'm so, were you playing? Uh, and just to clarify for the listeners, he's talking about uh, Dirty Dozen Brass Band, um, and I'll link to that in the show notes. So, were you playing? Were you playing full kit for that? Yeah, see, they were coming from a traditional standpoint when they had like two drummers, a bass drum cat and a snare drum cat, which right. is the lineup for a traditional brass band. Mm-hmm. So they were trying to make the switch into a more modern thing, 
by adding a drum kit. I got you. And they had, they had an audition, and I was invited. And, you know, I, I crushed it. It was cool. And But like I said, conceptually, you know, playing that stuff on a kit, you know, like how do you apply the times? How do you apply, you know, how do you apply this to what they're doing? And, you know, conceptually, originally, I was thinking like, wow, I could really make an impact if I, you know, if I do this right, <laughs> you know right, what I'm saying? Sure. So, so it worked out, you know, it, you know, with a little bit of homework and a little bit of shit, and you know, I was able to, you know, make that gig my gig, you know, mm-hmm. and, and my voice to a thing that was already happening. So, so there's a couple of things that that we keep mentioning that I think we should dive into a little bit is the the second line stuff and you know second line street beats, and I'm familiar with them uh, just because I love that that style of music but for the listeners who who aren't let's talk about a little bit of, about what second line rhythms are what street beats are um and and you know maybe where people can go to to check out some of them okay besides well, going gotta, besides going to new orleans <laughs> you definitely gotta go to new orleans but i mean go to I preservation mean, hall and, you got, yeah. yeah press hall you know in all the brass bands play around new orleans but you know some of the records some of the brass bands you know, like Fred Hall, we said that Dirty Dozen earlier stuff. You know, it's made brass band. I mean, it's a long line of brass bands. You know, Tuxedo. Mm-hmm. I mean, in all these brass bands, if you listen rhythmically, they all have a slightly different tinge on the groove because they're all from different neighborhoods. Right, right, right. In New Orleans. So, you know, the Sixth Wall might have a different thing. The West Bank might have, Algiers might have a different thing. You know, Uptown might have a different thing. You know what I'm saying? And it's it's all from the same source. It's just like those different little dialects of the second line rhythm, you know, which is based off of, you know, like you said, a military-style European thing mm-hmm. with Caribbean, Afro-Cuban-type rhythms in it and just for the sake of patience mm-hmm. and you know one of the main um ingredients in that is the bass drum pattern you know and, and, and the standard pattern which is a syncopated thing but people um always imply clave but on the streets in the military we don't really think boom 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 boom, boom. we don't right. we never play that <laughs> i don't even know who came up with that I mean, that's like, it's like a Bo Diddley type of sound right. thing. You know, we right. don't really, really play that in the streets. It's really funky and the full thing. Boom, 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 You know what I'm saying? So, you mm-hmm. know, you know, and Cloudy is implied, but it's not, it's like, we don't really think in those terms. We right, think sure. It's the second line, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway. It's so deep, the, man. The second... <laughs> So the second line is um, it started from from the the Mardi Gras processions and and the bands walking through the streets, right? Right. It started actually started more like in Congo Square, which okay. is you know Congo Square. We all know that that's the place in New Orleans where slaves were allowed to go in and and practice their heritage or whatever. You mm-hmm. know, what I'm where jazz was invented. It was really yeah. that's one on one. That's ground zero. For, yeah. you know. For everything we do, from mm-hmm. you know rhythmically all through history of drumming and music, really. So it's like you know, Congress Square is one of is ground zero. So you know, all that stuff started there, and, and it just um, morphed into you know the streets, and then the drum kit, and then you know on to what we do now. So I mean, everybody knows history. Maybe they don't, but 
everybody should know the history of the New, the New Orleans rhythm because it's the DNA. It's in the DNA of everything that we do. So it's mm-hmm. like... It's you in the DNA it. of all music, period. Of all music. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. I always say that. I'm like, man, there, if, if if it weren't for New Orleans, man, there would be there would be no music. Everything was... What, what, I mean, what would it be? Right. Like, know. seriously, I don't even know. Like, I don't know. It'd probably still be like, I guess, European military style. Right. Be, I guess more straight, and it wouldn't be as swung, you mm-hmm. know? Things wouldn't be a swunk, you know. So which is which is funny probably. because you know New Orleans is obviously influenced by the French. Exactly. You know, which is amazing too. That's another thing that people don't realize about New Orleans when you go there that there, you know, there's everything's in in French and there's you know, right. everybody has French last names and everything. I mean, it's 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 a French yeah. town in, in well, the middle it, of the it's country. French. It's French, it's Spanish, Cajun. Uh, it, yeah. yeah, it's 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 like one of the biggest melting. I mean, seriously, melting pots. Yeah, uh, of the world. I mean, in New York, it's good too. But when you think in terms of New Orleans, man, it's everything. We don't really have separate neighborhoods. Everybody lives in the same like blocks away from you know. It's right. not like okay, if you go over here, this this section. If you go over there, it's this section. No, you could you can go like a block away. If you know, it could be the hood, or you could go two blocks there. It could be like another, uh, you know, uh, millionaires. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like we all mix on every level. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's not, and that's what the thing is. Those cultures really, really intertwine, and rhythmically it, it happened too, and mm-hmm. socially. Yeah, so, I mean, it's I mean, a, that's it's why a, you get that that big gumbo. Yeah, it's a true sense of community, man. I love it. Yeah. So we had we touched on on the shuffle. We should probably get back to the shuffle and talk about it. Okay. <laughs> um, because as we both mentioned, that it's it's one of the most important. If I, I think it's the most important rhythm uh, that that people play wrong, uh, play incorrectly, and and don't understand it or dismiss it. And so let's dig into that a little bit. I mean, I always tell people to check out, like you know, go back and listen to to Art Blakey, who really like was had that driving shuffle um, oh no doubt <laughs> but like but, but yeah. what's your i would love to hear your take on the shuffle and 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 your ideals of it and, and how important it is well, well definitely you know you mentioned our uh, blakey thing i was playing um, a big band gig in uh with delphia Marcellus, and our uh, blakey was his you know his man so all the stuff i had to deal with came from that but even before that like I said, coming up in New Orleans, you know, playing blues clubs on Bourbon Street, I mean, I got entrenched in shuffles. And I don't, I guess I was kind of natural at it because of the way I hear New Orleans music. You know what I'm saying? Right. So the shuffle thing was, it's kind of natural for me. I, I didn't have to shed it. You know, it's just kind of like, okay, wow, I can play a shuffle. And Cats picked up on that, so I got the call to do the blues gigs, in which I'm thankful for because, you know, once you get the basic shuffle, there's all other sorts of ways to shuffle mm-hmm. within the basic shuffle. And, you know, <laughs> I listen to other drummers from New Orleans, like Herman Ernest was uh, one of my biggest, he played with Dr. John, mm-hmm. and he could play a shuffle 10, 15 different ways, right. you know, on one record. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so, so funny, too, like, like 
there's so you know you'll hear people talk about it and they're like oh it's the it's the old man shuffle it's the texas right. shuffle it's the double yeah. shuffle yeah. it's the backdoor shuffle the flat tire yeah. shuffle the, well know. the new orleans shuffle right you know the cajun shuffle you right. know i mean shuffles i mean that beat it's it's because you know like the new orleans thing it's 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 between the straight and swung thing that we always talk about and the cajun shuffle is is a mix of that you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so it's like man you got all these other things that you can do with a shuffle and then being from louisiana you have to play you have to play shuffles man right i think you I don't should know. have to play a shuffle no matter where you're from well yeah universally <laughs> yeah yeah no doubt yeah it should be required as soon as you get a drum set it, you have it, to learn it how to play shuffle required man but some cats can't play shuffles, man. And nope. I, I work with artists, and they tell the artists could tell you the four one one on any drummer you want to know about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because you know they say, man, yeah, I had this, I had this cat come in, man. He could kill, he's killing, but he can't shuffle. Right. And you know another thing though is when not to shuffle. Mm-hmm. Some cats can't interpret playing straight. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's weird. <laughs> like, you know, they'll be playing some, some straight eight stuff, and all of a sudden, the feels are going, da-ka-da, da-ka-da. right. You know, that, hey, that's, that's not straight. <laughs> it's funny. I was, I was dealing with an artist uh, in Italy, and she was looking for, I mean, she's huge over there and, and was looking for a new drummer. And the only reason she was looking for a new drummer was sort of along the lines of what you're talking about, that the drummer, just, he just swung too much because it was a pop gig. Right. So right. everything was like super swampy. And, and she was kind of like, I need it to be a little, a little tighter. You know what I mean? Right. And I was like, I right. don't know if that's a compliment that you're calling me or if that's insulting to my, how well I swing. <laughs> Yeah, but man, yeah, go ahead. No, but just, you know, she was asking, can you, you know, can you, can you play and, and not make it swing and, and, and feel as loose, you know, which is, which is a challenge in and of itself too. Well, it totally is a challenge and you have to, to have the wherewithal to even know the difference. And that's where a lot of cats fall. You know what? One of the things that keeps me working is, okay, everybody know my whole New Orleans thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I got that. You know, that's one on one. But all the other stuff that I incorporate in my playing, plus if I have to turn off the New Orleans thing and do something else that uh, that that the artists require, you know, you have to be able to do these things that you know instantaneously, man. And right. then, like you know, the gigs I'm doing now, okay, I'll list them. It's from Dirty Dozen, which is a New Orleans thing, and then I'll go from that New Orleans thing to another thing like Tab, which is Cajun, Cajun blues. Then from Tab, I'll go to maybe a Schofield gig, which is a whole different genre. Mm-hmm. And from that, I might go to Warren Haynes, which is a totally another genre. And then I might go to play with Ani DeFranco all in one week. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's all these different things, you know, with, you know, that keeps me working personally. And it's mm-hmm. like the versatility and knowing th- different things stylistically. And, you know, it's like, you got to know shuffles, you got to know straight beats. You have to go in and out of that stuff, man. Right. It's like, it's important. You know, you got to know. I agree. So what's <laughs> your, what was your approach on, on tackling all that stuff? Or was it, was it just sort of a natural progression that you're playing? I think it was a natural progression. You know, it's like when, you know, this comes from, first of all, listening to a lot of different stuff and mm-hmm. being open 
to a lot of different music, but knowing how to get outside of your thing. You know, you want to have a thing, you know, a voice. That's an intangible thing. You know, a lot of cats, you get, but nowadays I think a lot of people sound like each other. I totally you know, I can't agree. Tell. <laughs> but, you know, that was that time when you could turn on a record and you'd be like, oh, that's Tony Williams. Oh, mm-hmm. that's the dad. Oh, that's Dave Welker. Oh, that's Vinny Galuda. Like, nowadays it's like, oh, that's, I don't know who that is. That could be that cat. No, let me look at it. Let me check it out. You know, you don't really know. Right. So, I mean, which is, you know, it in itself, that's crazy that cats don't have their voice. But when you have to turn yourself off, whatever that thing is you do, and play this style without compromising who you are, <laughs> right. That's a big thing, man. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? Because I couldn't go on an Annie DeFranco gig playing some second line stuff all over her music, all chopping right. all over her music. It's not, that's not what it is. Right. You know, I couldn't go on a, a Cajun gig playing, you know, in a gospel chop context and with my feels. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing, you know, I learned, you know, playing in context to what the genre of music is. Mm-hmm. That's very important. You know, yep. cats be trying to, you know, get on a gig and, you know, hey, man, I'm, this is how I play. I'm going to do this feel. But you're like, yo, don't do that feel. Don't do that. Right. <laughs> so it's a lot of stuff, man, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, stylistically, if it doesn't fit. The one the one thing that I always think about when, when, when they talk about, it's a weird comparison, but I think about it like this, with in marketing, they always say that content is king, but context is even more important than that. So when I look at drumming, I think that your content is like your chops and all, all the things that you can do. And then the context of how you play all of that stuff. And then if you if you contextually can can have your content there, then I think you're going to market yourself a lot better. It's a weird comparison, but I always think about it like that. You know what? That makes sense. You know, and you know what? You you want to have facility. You want to have the the dexterity and the chops. You know, to get around a kid. And that's just that's, we all share those things. Mm-hmm. And what I do, I, I just if I'm checking out, I'm keeping my ears open. You know, because I know it's, it's a lot of modern stuff here. So I want to be up on that. You know, mm-hmm. with, uh, with the kids are playing. You know. I, and I want to know, you know, how to get inside of this thing that's happening. Because I may need that gig. I may have to, to do a gig like that one day. You know, sure. I, I'm required to open up, you know, and not so groove-oriented, you know, and I have to <laughs> pretend to be, you know, 20 years old and, and, <laughs> and with, with monster chops. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, but I shared those things. But there's no gig that I do that requires me to fully use or utilize those things. Man, I think and, that's the thing that people don't understand is that, like, you're not getting hired for chops. Like, you're not getting hired man. for solos, you know, like in Dugu Chancellor, I remember seeing him and he was like, you know, we had we had lunch uh, last year and he was like, I've never gotten called to do a drum solo ever. <laughs> and that's in Dugu. Like he's he's the man. It's in Dugu Chancellor. You know what I mean? And he's like, I've never gotten a phone call to do a drum solo. And I think that I know that YouTube is sensationalizing chops and not oh, sensationalizing man musicality oh, man. man and it, it it's it's tearing me up inside man man it's it's 
so disheartening to see to see this. In, in one way, it's a great tool for learning because right. you know there's stuff out there you can instantaneously go there. I want to pick up this and, and share some stuff because I still learn from it. But it's it's ruining a whole generation of, of cats because now everybody's seeing their, the most famous drummer, uh, whoever they think their idol is, doing all this stuff, and he'd get gigs because. He can apply that or not, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And he did gig, but then they think, okay, that's how I'm going to get on. Right. So they're going to make their YouTube video. I have a perfect example. I had a gig come up that came across my desk that, you know, it was like a soul gig, blues or whatever, pocket gig, really. And then I, I was like, I couldn't do it, so I recommended a few cats. And the artist went online on YouTube to check out the drummer. But there was nothing on his YouTube page that represented what he would do in this musical context. Uh, he put up a blowing, all his videos blowing chops. You know what I'm saying? This is like no reference to soul music, no reference to shuffles, no reference to ballads, you know, stuff that he would have to play. So the cat had to be like, get the pass on. It's like, mm-hmm. I can't, you know, he's like this modern chop dude. Right. You know, and he might have, I thought he could have done the gig. Right. You know what I mean? Because right, right. I know him. But there was nothing that represented him online that mm-hmm. said, oh, I can do otherwise. You know what I mean? So I totally I mean, agree, man. <laughs> man, I, I have like, you know, students of mine and people through the drummer's resource that, you know, that I coach and different things. And I'm like, listen, if you want gigs, if you don't have any gigs, first thing you should do is start a YouTube channel, record yourself playing every style of music and dress the part. So if you're playing jazz, put a suit on. If you're playing a pop gig, you know, put, you know, wear, wear hipper clothes. If you know, whatever it is, look the part, play the part. And if you want all that chop stuff on there too, that's cool. But like put, put the stuff out there, your, your employable skills, put that out there for the world to see. And I guarantee when somebody goes to check you out to see if you can, play this gig and they see you playing a shuffle and they see you playing a ballad with brushes and all this other stuff they're like oh right. this cat can play yeah and that's your business card really right you know you know if you you know in a lot of sense it's your business card and then if you putting quality stuff out there you know what I, I try not to put a lot of YouTube stuff out there you know because it's so oversaturated and then I'm like okay Right. <laughs> Cats ain't trying to hear what I'm doing anyway, so you know maybe they don't want to hear the podcast. That's not as interesting as the chop stuff, right? You know what I'm saying? But and those videos of you playing groove aren't for them; it's for prospective yeah. bosses right. or people that are going to hire you. Exactly. You, you know, know? What I'm so people will be like, "Yeah, oh yeah, call that cat," you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a good thing. You know, yeah. that's a good thing. And I think that's why a lot of people sound the same too because they go on YouTube, they see all this stuff and, you know, they say, okay, they look at the top five people and, okay, that's how I should be playing. So then I'm going to mimic that and then it just, after a while, it just seems like everybody is like this cookie cutter thing where it's like they can't play a shuffle and they can't play a, you know, they can't play a pocket but they can they can play, you know, this nine, nine figure thing between their hands and their feet that they're never going to use contextually in a song. <laughs> yeah. It's like some hybrid drumming. It's crazy to me, man. Which like I think I it's said, amazing, man. And like some of the chops oh, out there is sick, you know, Dude, I, I, I sometimes, I mean, I know some kids, you know, in New Orleans, I'm like, man, you know, and right. you know, but they keep me on my toes and mm-hmm. it's a good thing. Cause you know, 
I want to know. You know, I don't want to be the old guy who, who's grumpy and, and, right. <laughs> and not up on, you know, on top of game. You know what I'm saying? So, like I said, I, if I had to pull out some stuff, you know, I'm sharing enough to where I could do it. Right, know? right, right. You know, it's funny. I, I'm I'm good buddies with Brian Frazier Moore and, and I oh, talk yeah. and because I'm from Philly. What's that? I said Bridge. Yeah, he's a monster. <laughs> and, you know, guys like him and Little John, and, you know, they look at those guys, and they, they, both of those guys have ridiculous chops, like insane right. chops. But they can, they can play pocket. They can play all these styles. You know what I mean? Like Little John played straight ahead jazz with Joey DeFrancesco for years. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? It's like, they, I don't, I think that the people go on and see these guys playing all these chops on YouTube and they're like, Oh, that's what I need to do. And I'm like, man, you got to realize the other stuff that those, ca- those cats are pros. Yeah. But they're perfect examples, you know, of what to do. Right. <laughs> you know, and I know both, I know both of those guys, man. And you know, it's the music first, you yeah. know, they're playing when they compliment, they're playing with these artists, they compliment those artists in the highest form in whatever style, it is, you know, and they know styles, they know genres, they know how to play an authentic Latin group or an authentic straight ahead group. Right. And that's the stuff that's important, you know, and you got to know, mm-hmm. you got to have a statue of grooves that you play really well right. and make the gigs win. And right. that's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> but aside from all the chops that they have, incredible chops, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? They know when to apply. And when to hold them, when to fold them, you know. Right, right, right. I remember having a conversation with Brian about. He was like, "If you're learning the tune, and then you you're you're hearing the drummer play it, and he's like, it doesn't matter if you could play it. He's like, you need to figure out why that drummer played that. You know what I mean? He's <laughs> like, you need to get inside of that, and then listen to other stuff that he played on. Then you start to understand where that drummer's coming from. Then you exactly. can start to really get an idea of he's like you can't just listen to one he's like if I gotta learn one song I'm listening to the whole record because I wanna hear how this <laughs> I need to know about this guy you know what I mean I need yeah. to know exactly what's going on and you know I just think that and I don't wanna down I'm not trying to down anybody like the, you know anybody listening that, that goes on YouTube and watches videos and things like that I'm definitely not downing that because I think YouTube is a great resource but I just wanna I think that you and I are both stressing the importance of learning the music and the lineage and, and the history and, and, you know, contextually how to use all the facility that you have. Exactly. And apply it, you know, and right. keep you work. <laughs> yeah. I can't yeah. imagine if it was YouTube 20 years ago. It's like, you know, just, you can just go oh, on man, and watch. You know what? When we came up, man, it was, you know, we were all getting like video cassette tapes. Yeah. And that's what it was. That was all resource. Yep. You know, DCI we videos. DCI. <laughs> as soon as something came out, we ran in and everybody had it. Make me a copy. You know, whatever. <laughs> you know, can you copy? Make me a copy of that. You know, we would all get together. But that was all a resource. And and most of those drummers that did that are killing. They got careers. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Because, you know, it's not like we all had YouTube to sit around and sound like some one dude. Right. Yeah, we got our influences. Yeah. We picked up what we could. And, you know, we moved on, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's, it's all good. I love it. So you had mentioned, you know, while we're talking about Brian and, and Lil John and, and the gigs that they play. Um, so do you would you like to do stuff like that, some some higher level pop gigs? I mean, you know, that's the opportunity to present this. But you know what? I feel like the stuff I'm, I'm playing 
and the scene I'm on and in my lane, it's really grassroots and it's really the salt of the earth stuff. I mean, I'm like playing with, you know, we, it ain't all a pyro and, and lights and tracks and, you know, it, it's real cats playing real, mu- real music and not to take anything from away from any of those big gigs. Like I would love the paycheck. But I'm good, you know. It's actually like, man, why you don't move to L.A.? Why you know, you know, you could be. I'm like, I'm already doing what I'm doing. I got 300 dates a year, right. and playing with five different touring bands. Like, right. what else do I, you know, could possibly want? You know, I'm playing with some of the biggest artists in there. For, I mean, Schofield is like one of the biggest jazz right. guitarists. You know, Warren Haynes is big in what he do. Dirty Dozen is the biggest of what they do. Andre DeFranco is like big folk type music, you know? So it's like, and then I'm getting all this stuff and on a regular basis. And then that parlays into other gigs. It may not be as big, but I, I still get other gigs. So I'm pretty much content. Like I said, but if the big gig come, you know, I'll be prepared. Sure. Right, <laughs> you know, right. I'll get the paycheck. You know, I'll do what I have to do to make the gig. But mm-hmm. I'm not on that scene, and, you know, that's not what I pursue. Right. You know, right. so and I, that's, I'm, why I'm really I, like, that's why I asked because they're totally, they're two different two different gigs, you know, like two different styles of gigs. I should say not that one is better than the other. They're just two different, they're two different lanes, like you said. And I just wanted to know if, if, if you consciously made a decision to say, Hey man, I want to, I want to do this stuff where I'm not playing with tracks and I'm not dealing with pyro and, and all that stuff. Or if that's something that, that you're like, Oh yeah, man, if it comes along, I'll do it, but I'm not, I'm not chasing it. No, I'm I'm totally not chasing it, and you know I never really pursued I never really pursued those types of gigs. You know what right, I mean? Right. So that's just not on my resume. You know, right? I, I play with it really big pop stars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, and everybody I play with, like I said, it is, is a star they own right. It's just a different scene, mm-hmm. and sure. I love it. It's, it's it's for me, it's organic. It's raw, you know, it's happening in the moment, you know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. not like we have these uh, three-month rehearsals and then we go on a tour and we play the same thing every night, you know? It's like, you know, it it happens in the moment. Like, we rehearse a few times, make sure everybody knows the music, and then we tour, you know what I'm saying? So... I like that organic approach. So if people want to uh, learn more about you and, and connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, well, I mean, you know, I have a Facebook page, which is home <laughs> these days. I also have a website, which is TerrenceHigginsMusic.com, which I update. I need to update it. It's not all that updated, but you can find out, you know, who I am. And, and my touring schedule is on there. And, um, you know, I played on a few records. There's a new release out that um, that came out a month ago, and it's with a friend of mine, this guy named John Cleary. Um just a great New Orleans piano. He's actually from England, but he moved to New Orleans like in the early 70s and, and uh, really got into the New Orleans thing. And he's probably one of the premier uh, New Orleans pianos, funk piano players out right now. His new record is called Go-Go Juice. And uh, man, it's it's to me, it's a classic New Orleans record, man. It's like, I feel like if that was like, that could possibly be uh, uh, Dr. John Desitively Bonnaroo type of record you know for the day you know really? what I'm saying so I feel like that you know because <laughs> I have a little bias but uh, I feel like it's it's classic in a modern day um, context and um, it's just killing and then I also have my own CDs I have a band called Swamp Grease 
everybody called me Grease or Swamp. <laughs> um, you know, and it was a, a project that I started, you know, when I was back in the Dirty Dozen days. You know, I was doing Dirty Dozen full time, and I was writing a bunch of stuff that was non Dirty Dozen stuff, and I just wanted to get my voice out there in, in a way. And I started the Swamp Grease project. I have two records out. One is called In the Bywater, and the other one is called, uh, what's the name of my second one? Oh, Rage Till Sunrise. <laughs> That's the latest one. I couldn't remember. But um, and Killing Records, I got some great musicians on there, some singing. There's not no chop stuff. It's got some chops on it. It's grooving, you know, and it's just who I am and what I like, you know. So. Nice. But those are two projects I'm working on. And um, and then I'm also on a few of the Ani DeFranco records, uh we did one and then we got another one that's coming out next year and I'm also on Dirty Dozen Records I'm on uh, the Warren Haynes DVD uh, and live record and I got some other stuff coming out a record I did with John Modeski like a couple months ago man man, it's all over the board man (laughs) you're busy Tab's working on a new record so (laughs) yeah that's great, man. I'm I'm happy to see that that you're working. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to link up to everything that you just mentioned. I'll put that in the show notes for the podcast so that people can check that out to make sure that they can grab the records or they can get in touch with you. And do you teach privately too, or do you not have time for I that? Teach privately, um, you know, when I'm available. Okay. I mean, I don't do the Skype thing, um, which may be an option. I have a, a practice facility. I've been thinking about lining up some Skype lessons, but you know, my my schedule is so crazy, man. It's like. When I'm home, I just want to be home and chill. You sure, know, I don't even sure. think about, you know, if, if somebody hit me up, I'll be like, let's schedule a lesson this week, I'm home. Right. And then I'll get a lot of European students that will come to New Orleans and be like, yeah, man, I want to, you know, learn some second line stuff. And I'll, I'll teach what I, you know, I'll, I'll give them some information. But, you know, to me, that New Orleans thing is it's such a secret thing. I hate exploiting things that, you know, are dear. You know what I'm saying? I, I try right. not to exploit that I call I think that's so sacred that what we have you know and, and you know it's like everybody you kind of got to be from that to know what it really is right, you right. can get it and you can understand the style but you know to really be from New Orleans and inside of that culture man it's like it's so dear to me it's like I don't want to exploit it so you know I try to give them some information I just tell them you know you got to know this thing from the inside out you know you can't just try to learn a beat right. and think oh I got it right. and then you misrepresenting the whole sure. thing. You know what I'm saying? Right, and I right, think right. there's a lot of misrepresentation of what New Orleans drumming really is. And, you know, and cash responsible for putting it out there of not 100% giving it like it is. Right. And that's something that you got to kind of be inside of to do. So it's like, that's just my take on it. And I think a lot of other cats in New Orleans kind of feel the same way because, you know, you got some legends down there who, you know, who don't really exploit it. We just know for what we do. Right. But that's just <laughs> right, right, right. I got you. So if anybody wants to hook up with you, just go to your website and see if they can connect yeah, with me you. Hit me up on, you know, Facebook message, which is like pretty much anybody's calling call these days. Cool. So. Cool. Well, Terrence, man, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you for getting up at five o'clock in the morning to do this interview. I really, I really uh, appreciate it. I applaud your effort for that. And uh, it was great chatting with you and have a, have a successful tour and be safe out there on the road, man. Thank you. Thanks, Nick, man. Appreciate it, bro. Absolutely. It was, it was a blast. Thanks again. All right, bro. So there you have it, Mr. Terrence Higgins. And for everything that we talked about, you can check out the show notes at drummersresource.com forward slash session one. 
two nine. Also, don't forget to get your free play along track by going to drummersresource.com forward slash play along. Check me out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummers resource on Instagram at drummers resource on Twitter at drummers R source. And if you dig the podcast, do me a favor, leave a rating or a review. I would really appreciate it. And plus it helps get people seeing the podcast. It gets more eyes and ears on the podcast, which I would really appreciate. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking to you soon. I love you. I mean it. Peace.